and welcome to the Lazy Parenting Podcast, hosted by me, Stephanie Kennedy, the self-proclaimed OG Lazy Parent. Every week, we're going to dive deep into the concept and methodology of Lazy Parenting, and I'll share all of my tips and tricks and strategies to help support you in this crazy journey of parenting that we are all on. So listen in, implement the strategies, and watch as your children become more independent, more capable, more self-reliant in all of their things. You'll be amazed as you watch their confidence grow, and they become happy, joyful, kind, empathetic, young adults ready to head off on their own, living their true purpose. Sounds exciting, right? So let's go. Let's all become lazy parents. Hey, everyone. It is February in real time. And can you believe that this is actually episode number nine, which means I have been consistent with two months. And if you know me, that's not that easy of a thing. However, I am recording this in my car outside of a high school where my son is about to play a basketball game because you got to fit it in where you can fit it in when you're a mom of four kids and own a couple businesses and just got to do all the things. It's not that easy to get this podcast done every week. It takes time to prep and prepare and get all my notes together and my thoughts on what I'm going to talk about. So today's topic is one that I'm quite passionate about. It's actually a topic around parenting that I learned way back when my oldest was like three or four and I had enrolled her in a preschool. Enrolling them in this preschool was one of the best decisions I ever made. It was a special preschool called a PPP preschool and the PPP stands for Parent Participation Preschool. It was uh, one of the oldest running preschools in our community and my neighbor across the street had had both of her kids go to it. And when she, when I moved into the neighborhood and my kids were getting older, she's like, Stephanie, you need to put your kids in this preschool. It's fantastic. And since they were both teachers, the husband and the wife and their two kids, I thought, well, that's probably pretty high praise coming from fellow teachers. Teachers usually, a lot of teachers usually have the same kind of concept around parenting and preschools and education. So I thought, okay, I'll look into it. And both my husband and I, we both understood that play-based learning was probably the way that we wanted to go. We had lots of experience with kids in high school, and we were pretty adamant that we didn't require our kids to be part of an academic preschool, that they would learn how to read and write and do math and all that kind of stuff in due time. So what they really needed and what we were really looking for was a preschool where they got to play and socialize and really, above all else, had some teachers that were really lovely and caring Um, and spoke kindly, and had really kind discipline strategies, and all of that. And we found it in our preschool. It was called the Gingerbread Parent Participation Preschool, and one of the best decisions I ever made. All four of my children went through that preschool. Now, if you know what a PPP is, there are some things, some strings attached to being enrolled in a PPP. There's actually three things that you have to do. Number one is you have to have some kind of job in the preschool. Because it's a parent-run preschool, you have to either be in charge of fundraising or be in charge of be the president or the vice president or be in charge of parent ed or whatever it is. You had to do a job. And so I came on and um, eventually, when my third and fourth, I think I became president of the preschool for a little while and helped run the preschool from that aspect because I like running meetings and, quite frankly, I like, delegating and thereby not having to do most of the work myself. (laughs) But don't tell anybody that's a secret. Anybody who's the president of an organization 
you get to delegate. So that's good. Number two was you had to volunteer in the classroom each month. So you got parent duty days, which is when you would go and you'd help the teacher set up and clean up and do snack and all of that. And I really, really liked that idea that I could go into my children's preschool classroom and see them in their own element and see how they played and get to know the other children. So that was a plus for me. And I had flexible um, work. So I was able to plan it around the days that I work or not work. And then the third component of a PPP is attending required classroom evenings once a month, which was their parent ed component. So part of what you got with your tuition was the ability to go to these guest speakers that they would bring into the school who talked about a whole range of topics, everywhere from parenting um, strategies to child development strategies. Like we had nurses come in and talk about speech development. We had them talk about healthy eating habits. And then we had a parenting boy specialist come in, a very famous guy locally here who would speak to us about parenting challenges around boys because no matter what you think, boys and girls, they are different and they have some innate differences. Yes, there's a spectrum, but there are definitely things I've learned from being a mom of boys versus being a mom of girls. And then um, they also had a marriage therapist come in. And I got to tell you, that one was gold because let me tell you, if you have a baby, marriages get hard when you have babies. When you change from being just the two of you in a marriage to introducing a new baby, um, and if you're like me, I'm a bit of a power person, like I like to be in control. I had no experience with babies before I had my first baby. It was all new to me. And I just, it was hard. My husband worked a lot back in those days. Yeah, on an average of five days a week, you know, two of those days, he wouldn't get home before 10. Two of those days, he might be home by eight. And maybe one or two of those days, he'd be home by six, which was rare. Um, and so I really was a single mom through the majority of my children when they were little itty bitties. Luckily, I had my mom who helped a lot. And I had my mother-in-law, his mom, who helped tremendously as well. And so the three of us kind of maneuvered through the day and evening, and then um, Chris was able to help out at night. But again, when they're babies, there's not a whole lot that the dad can do because they can't nurse, um, and they're not the ones getting up in the middle of the night, likely, if you end up feeding that way. I don't know what it's like if you bottle feed a baby, but I imagine it's still hard because they are the ones who have to get up to go to work the next day. So I don't know if it would have changed much if they were bottle fed over breastfed. Anyways, that is all topics for another day. <laughs> I digress a little bit. So going back to this parent ed, one of the topics that was introduced to me at them was this idea around character development and personality traits in our children. And the speaker, the presenter, um, started off the conversation by asking us to come up with a few words that when we first looked at our child, what were the first few words that popped into your head? And I got to be honest, when I had little ones, because at this point I would have had like a four-year-old and a three-year-old, both in preschool together, I'm sure that the first words that popped into my head were things like messy or stubborn or talkative or emotional. And this speaker presented this idea around something called the self-fulfilling prophecy. It was a concept that they presented to us in order for us to be mindful of the language we used and the labels we assigned to our children when they were young. So what is self-fulfilling prophecy or SFP? 
Self-fulfilling prophecy is what happens when we use predictions at the start of something that ultimately affects our behavior in such a way that we make that prediction happen. That's kind of a wordy explanation, but let me explain that again. So self-fulfilling prophecy, if we assign a label to our child, such as they are messy, well, then they start acting in a way that keeps them messy ultimately, or they use that label as an excuse for them to continue being messy. So it changes their behavior so that ultimately they are really messy and that becomes part of who they believe them to be. Does that make sense? So SFP, self-fulfilling prophecy. It happens to all of us. We could use an example from ourselves in our own lives. Like, um, if you have a preconceived notion that something is going to be really hard to do and you psych yourself out for it and then it is really hard to do and then you go, oh yeah, well, I knew that that was going to be really hard and I would fail. That's all this idea around self-fulfilling prophecy. And it's scientifically proven that it's an actual real thing. And so that's why as parents, I believe we need to be really, really mindful of the labels and of the words we use to describe our children. And so that's what I'm going to talk about today. I'm actually going to give you five tips at the end of this podcast for ways that you can try to avoid using labels with your children or five things that I want you to think about um, to help shape and maybe guide your parenting moving forward. So for many years, I have been a teacher and a coach and a parent, and I have seen in actual fact the power of SFP in action, and I see it over and over again. I've seen the results of both children and parents who have certain beliefs put on them, and they either live up or down to those opinions. One of my biggest examples of this is as a teacher. I was a math teacher for grade eight children and never failed when parents came into my parent-teacher conference The children who struggled in math, the first thing that their parents would say to me is, oh, I suck at math, or I was never good at math, so it's no doubt that my child's no good at math. And so the parents were putting their own projections of their own experiences with math onto their children, like, I never understood math, so it's totally okay that their child didn't understand math, or math was so hard it didn't make any sense. And then their children using those comments and those labels or those excuses to they themselves not be good at math. And it drove me insane. (laughs) So why is this such a big deal? Well, it is a big deal because of that. Because when we assign a label to a child, it almost guarantees that your child is going to become that label. So If we change the conversation from a young age, so I'm going to use that math example again. So if we change the conversation with our child who is working on their math problems, and you might not understand a single thing on that math sheet, and that's okay. You're not actually talking about the math. What we want to talk about are the skills or the traits that the child is demonstrating in order to get the math work done. So you'd say something like, wow, that problem looks like it's challenging. I admire how hard you're working on it. I can see how hard you're working on it and how many tries you're giving it. I'm proud of you. If you said stuff like that or use the words like, wow, I admire your perseverance or your hard work, or I admire how long you are plugging away at that problem, that 
is what we want to be focusing on. Their actual character skills and traits that they can then take on in life, right? Whether or not they're good at math might or might not affect them in their future life, but whether or not they are able to persevere, whether or not they know how to go and find the help that they need, whether or not they put the time in every day and have good study habits, whether or not they have the commitment to stick it through, those are the things that we as parents are trying to instill in our children. At least I hope that's what we're all trying to instill in our children. So taking it out of the math realm, saying things like, oh, you're so messy, you never clean up after yourself, that can be turned into a statement that is more motivating and effective as well, that can be helping you instill good habits in your children, saying things like, wow, you sure have been busy playing with your Lego in your room. I can see so many things in this room. Let's clean it up so that we don't lose any of the pieces so that next time you want to play, all of those pieces are there. Or if they've built something, not forcing them to break it down, but letting them keep that up, but cleaning up the other pieces. So again, the words we use have tremendous power. And usually, in my experience, if a kid is messy, what is that messiness coming from? Is it in art and creativity? And they're just, they have so many things that they want to do. They can't just pick one. And how can we frame that in a positive way for their children, but also encourage them to have the other trait that goes with it? So if they're messy, then obviously they do need to figure out how to manage that and how to keep things organized enough that they can find what they're looking for in the future. So these offhand comments that we often make about our children can have a huge impact on their young minds, especially if they're negative or complaining ones, and especially if they overhear us saying it when we don't know that they are around. It has been shown over and over in scientific studies that these can have long-lasting effects that we can't even imagine at the time that it happens. But if you think back to your own childhood and to what labels or words were used to describe you, have any of those stuck with you now into adulthood? I know so many. I mean, every friend I have, including myself, for sure we have labels that we were assigned to us when we were younger and that we now own. And whether or not we've managed to turn that label into something positive that we now are using in our life for good or whether it's a label that has held us back from pushing forward, achieving our dreams, being the person we want to be. So I have also found that it is especially difficult to keep in check the projection of my own fears onto my own kids. So to counteract that, I've tried really hard to be there for them. I try really hard to listen, to hold my tongue, to use some teaching strategies and tools to help them learn how to handle a huge wide range of situations that they might be, um, that might happen to them. Things that can help them become stronger, more adaptable, um, and more confident than I was at their age. And then now that I have kids that are growing through teenagehood, I try really hard to remember that they are their own person and that my job as being the biggest influence in their life, and I hope I still am an influence in their life, but it's changing from me being more of the dictator or the planner to me becoming more of an advisor in their life, someone that they come to to just ask my opinion. But ultimately, the choice that they make is their choice. And my job as they get older and older becomes 
smaller and smaller. My influence hopefully stays strong, but I can't ever tell them what to do. I can't force them to make decisions that I would want them to make. And let's be real, my decisions might actually be the wrong decision because I'm not living their life at that moment. I don't have all of the pieces of the story. I don't have all of the information. So here are the five tips that I wanted to share with you that I hope can help you and guide you into thinking about this topic a little bit more clearly and seeing how it can impact your parenting and your family. So tip number one, use positive words with your children, words that can help them believe in themselves. It's so easy to fall back to the words that we use to describe people in a negative way. Words like bossy or messy or talkative or shy or hyperactive. Remember that for every word like that, there probably is a better one, one that can help them embrace and see something within themselves that might be perceived as a negative and spin it and turn it into a positive. So I have a couple examples here. So bossy. I was called bossy from kindergarten on my kindergarten report card. Bossy and talks a lot. Those are the two things I had. So instead of saying that your child is bossy, is there another word that we can use? What about that they have great leadership skills? What about confidence? What about visionary? What about like usually people who are bossy have an idea in their head that they want to see happen. And that's why this, you know, they sort of sometimes get called that word. So can we spin it for them? What about if you have a child who's defiant? That's really them being bold and speaking their mind and having a very strong sense of self. So can we spin it into a great word like that? What about the kids who are dramatic all the time? Um, can we spin that a word and talk about, wow, you are sure expressing your emotions right now. I can see that that really upset you or that that really makes you nervous. And can we start using words like the word expressive and spin it so that it turns into a positive for them? I have two more. Often kids are fearful. So you think that your child is scared of things or fearful or shy. Another word you could use is cautious. You know, they're cautious. They really want to know what to expect before jumping into a unknown situation. And there's nothing wrong with that. Caution is a really good um, personality trait to have. What about hyperactive? You know, so many children are dinged as um, hyperactive. I'm going to say that a hyperactive kid is usually just really energetic, has so much going on inside of them. Their brain is going a mile a minute from this to that, that they just have to learn the skills and the strategies and the tools to help them figure out how to attack or how to handle one thing at a time. Um, but hyperactive isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just something that they have to learn how to handle within their own brain. So again, tip number one was changing our language from some of these negative words into more positive, affirming words that our children can begin to own and really, really um, hone and cultivate and develop into amazing things about themselves. Okay, tip number two. This is a big one. Help them see the mistakes that they're making as part of the process of them learning and showing them that their failures and the resilience that they show after a failure are what matter the most. One of the things that make the biggest impact in me as a parent 
was when I learned about Carol Dweck's concept of mindset. And that being the difference between having a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. She wrote a book back in 2007 called Mindset, the Psychology of Success. Now, from that book, you wouldn't necessarily think it's a parenting book, but it is. It's a book that talks about how you fall somewhere as an individual on the continuum of being someone who has either a growth mindset or a fixed mindset. Figuring out where we as parents fall on that continuum and figuring out where our children fall on that continuum is something that I think is really, really key. You tend to have, as a person she talks about, you tend to have a bit of both, but more often than not, you fall onto one side or the other side. And so if I were to ask you these following questions, which of these matches what you would think? If I said, how smart you are is something that you can't change very much. Or I said, you can learn new things, but you can't really change how smart you are. Or no matter how smart you are, you can always get smarter. So out of those three statements, which one resonates most with you? If the ones where I talk about being smart or your intelligence, and you believe that those things are sort of pretty much fixed from the moment you're born, you're either born smart or you're born struggling. Or do you believe that regardless of how you were born, you can make significant changes in how smart or how intelligent you are? If you feel like you can change it, that means you fall more on the growth mindset end of the spectrum. And if you believe that certain things about you are not changeable, they just are the way they are, then you have more of a fixed mindset. A person with a fixed mindset generally just believes that you're born with certain characteristics and that they aren't really changeable, that they aren't really that smart or they think that they you are either born smart or not born smart. A fixed mindset person believes that No, it doesn't really matter how hard you try. Most things are out of your control, that you're born into a certain way of life, that you are born a certain way. She gives an example of a scenario in her book that goes something like this. Imagine you're taking a college course and you go to school and you get your midterm back and you get a C plus on it. And you're disappointed in that grade because you thought you were going to do better than that. And then you walk back to your car and you see that there is a parking ticket on your car. And you go, ugh. And then while you're driving in your car, you spill the coffee cup that's in your car because you didn't put it in your cup holder. How would you feel at the end of that day? And what kind of things would you be saying to yourself? Or let's pretend that you phone up your best friend. How would you describe that day to your best friend? So people with a fixed mindset would be speaking to themselves in a way that says things like, ugh, they feel worthless or they feel useless. Like the day was a failure from the beginning and doesn't matter. The world is out to get me and life is so unfair. The professor hates me. That's why I got a C plus. And oh my gosh, that coffee cup didn't have a good lid on it. And that's why it spilt. They will say that the reason for the things that were bad that happened to them was because of external forces, not usually because of themselves. Or they will take those things that happen and directly relate it to them not having worked hard enough or not having um, put the coffee cup properly in the cup holder, but because they're stupid, they can't do anything, and that this is just the way my life is. People with a fixed mindset would be looking at that day and thinking things like, well, why should I bother studying? It's obvious that the professor doesn't like me. Or they might think, I'm so stupid, I can't figure it out. 
Or they might want to go get drunk or get high or eat snacks, things that will help them avoid those feelings that they had from that bad day. Carol Dweck in her book talks about how in this example, she purposely made these things not very big problems. Like she didn't say you failed the final exam, got C plus on a midterm. That you didn't get into a car accident, you just got a parking ticket. That fixed mindset, people will look at this day and immediately go to the worst case scenario. Fixed mindset people believe that even their personality traits are fixed as well. That you're either born shy and you stay shy for your whole life. That you can't really change these things about yourselves. So in essence, fixed mindset people worry about how they're going to be judged in any given circumstance. The C plus means that they're stupid. The parking ticket means that they don't they didn't pay attention to where they're parking and that means that they're stupid versus a growth mindset person who is more concerned about learning how they can improve. So they get the C plus and they're going to say, okay, I better study or figure out how to do it for the final that's coming up. This idea around growth mindset and fixed mindset really are a key indicator that I think helps you as a parent if you can identify which end of the spectrum your child falls mostly on. Because if they have a fixed mindset, there are definitely going to be challenges in raising that child. So I have one of my four children has an extreme fixed mindset. And I'm going to say was born this way because out of the four, only one of them from a very, very young age, showed lots of these traits. Hated losing. Hated not being able to do things perfectly the first time, whether it was in school or in sports. Um, like they expected to be able to do things the first time that they tried. And when they didn't go the way they wanted, they would shut down. And I have to tell you, it's taken 14 years of parenting this child and trying my best and my husband trying his best to downplay the result of his achievement and really focus on his traits, his personality traits, trying to get him to recognize that his hard work, his perseverance, that the failures along the way are all developing him into the person he's meant to be. That not getting freaked out about a grade because it's one grade in a, you know, a whole year of grades. And I gotta say, this one child of mine really has made me a better parent in so many ways because he has challenged the way I parent. He is not a typical kid and I have learned so much from him. And I do think he's one of the reasons why I have all of these ideas around the lazy parenting methodology and why I'm so passionate about parenting kids and helping them develop a growth mindset. We as parents trying to help us become more intentional about what we do because he has been my own little science experiment. And I gotta say, now at 14, I'm seeing the result of all of the work we have put in over the past 14 years. And I got, I'm gonna say this, it has been a lot, a lot of work. From temper tantrums when he was a little boy, to highs and lows and crying, um, when a coach gave him a correction and he couldn't handle the feedback and him internalizing that, that meant that he was terrible and couldn't do something. Like it has taken years and years, 14 years to be exact, 
to help him figure out, figure out how to use his strengths to help him be the amazing kid he has turned out to be now. And I have no doubt that he will continue on that path. It amazes me actually how he has changed over the 14 years and his personality has become much more open. He's much more open to failure. He sees failures as stepping stones. He can put things into perspective, whether, you know, he gets a B on an essay and he can like digest that and understand that that's okay. It's not the be all end all of his world. Fixed mindset versus growth mindset, a huge concept that I really encourage you to look into um, and learn how to help your kids steer closer to the growth mindset side. And it does, it takes a lot of work to get them there. Okay, so tip number four. This one's a bit trickier. Trickier meaning that you have to manipulate the narrative that our children are going to see. So I want you to watch for moments when you're talking to another adult And you know that your children are listening in when they're not supposed to be. And I want you to ensure that your children overhear you, and I'm using air quotes while I say that, overhear you speaking highly of them and boasting about their strength of character and the great things that they are doing. Do this as often as you can. Ensure that they hear you talk about how hardworking they are, how kind they are to their siblings, how much they love animals, and how they are so responsible in taking care of them. I also encourage you to expand on this to them and ensure that your children know without a doubt that you couldn't imagine your family without them. They have to know how important they are as a member of your family. I remember reading this in a book when my oldest was little, and the message I remember the most is that it's important to ensure that your daughter doesn't want to run away or go off to find love with a boyfriend or to find a different family of their friends, that in order for those things not to happen, that they must know how important and crucial they are in the running of your family. I think I did this a lot when they were younger, and I hope that I'm continuing to do so. I try to make sure I let the kids know how I wouldn't be able to run the household or keep the family working so well if they all weren't as awesome as they are and how thankful I am for each of them for being so great. Here's another reason why chores are so important. They need to know that them doing their job is how the family works. Everyone doing their part to make the house run and keep everyone happy. So again, let them overhear you speak high praise of them. Just be careful that your praise isn't around their accomplishments or achievements of them or their team winning or them getting straight A's or how beautiful they are. Make it about their traits, about the things that you want them to value above all else. Because if they learn early on that you put their effort and character and integrity above everything else they do, then those are the things that they too are going to internalize and value and bring forth into their life moving forward. Number five, lastly, as parents, we have to model the character and behaviors we want from our children. Make no mistake, we are the biggest influence in our children's lives. We are the compass by which they decide what is right and what is wrong, what to believe and not to believe, who to look up to in society and who not. Our children are always watching and they're always learning from what we do rather than what we say. I have an example of this that may on the surface seem ridiculous to you, but was a big moment in my parenting and cemented the fact that I would always try to act with integrity. We happened to be at Disney with a big group of parents and their children. 
And we are going to the dine with Disney characters thing that they have there. And the children's price for dining with the characters was significantly lower than the adult price. And to be a child, you had to be 11 and under. My daughter had just turned 12 in January, and this was March. As much as I wanted to lie and say that my daughter was 11, because we always want to save a few bucks, she was standing right there beside me. And she would know that I had lied, and I had to make a decision on what to do. And I chose not to lie. And I made that decision in that moment that I would never lie about their ages to get the discount. I made a promise never to lie about anything in front of them. It was more about living with integrity and doing what was right all of the time so that I could model this to my kids. And while you might not agree with me because there were a lot of parents there who lied that day and I'm not judging them, everybody makes their own choices, it was just in that moment I saw this seemingly small and insignificant thing as something that would set the pace for the future, would set the bar actually for the future, that my children wouldn't lie either because I didn't want them lying to me one day. I work really hard as a parent to never lie to my kids. Okay, except for the whole Santa Tooth Fairy Easter Bunny thing. But even then, when they've asked, I just avoid the question and thereby avoid lying by saying things like, well, in this house, if you don't believe in Santa, Santa won't come. So I don't really answer the question, but this answer has worked for me and for my lines of what is right and what is wrong. But ultimately, this decision around Santa and the Tooth Fairy and the Easter Bunny, it doesn't really impact another person in any way. Unlike the restaurant where I didn't pay my fair share to the people who own the restaurant. So to sum it all up, SFP, self-fulfilling prophecy, is a real and powerful concept that absolutely molds and determines how our children see themselves. In order to be really on top of this, it takes time. Don't forget that we have a whole lifetime of being parented ourselves and that often how we were parented shapes how we parent. And how we were parented often affects our own view of ourselves. Like I said, I was branded a talker and bossy in kindergarten, and those labels have stayed with me until now, quite frankly, except I've now come to appreciate that my ability to engage in conversations and lead groups of people with courage and authority are really boss things. And I encourage you to work on your own narrative too. SFP has and will continue to affect us all. Remember, the goal is to help our kids develop a growth mindset and to see their own individualities and quirks as amazing things that set them apart from others and make them unique, like their very own superpowers that will take them to amazing places in their life if they learn to embrace them and channel them. Our choice of words and the things we praise in our children will truly have a huge impact on their life. Hey guys, thanks so much for your support with this podcast. I've really appreciated it. And if you are loving it, please share with your friends. Just take a screenshot of the podcast and post it on social media and share the love. Also, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, then just scroll on down to the rate and review and leave a review and leave a rating. I would greatly appreciate it. It's by doing that that helps get the podcast heard by more people. And really, that's what I'm trying to do here. I'm just trying to help out other moms and dads and build this community of lazy parents so that we can take care of our kids all together and share in the stories of life and motherhood and parenthood. Thanks, guys.